Well, hello, dear friends. This is the show that aims to get you uh, thinking clearly about Christianity. In fact, we say this is a dose of clear thinking Christianity or Christianity worth thinking about. And uh, you probably have already noticed that this is not Greg Kokel's voice. This is uh, the voice of Tim Barnett. And uh, I'm going to be in the driver's seat for this uh, particular episode, this podcast, this show. And I have riding shotgun with me, none other than Greg Kokel. How are you doing, Greg? You're sitting in my seat, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> the inimitable Mr. B is running the show today. So I'm, uh, like you said, riding shotgun. That's right. And uh, we got a great show lined up today. In fact, we're doing kind of a special 30th anniversary mm-hmm. um, episode here. Uh, Greg, you've been at this for 30 years. Well, Standard Reason started in May 1993, and so uh, this is our, we've just passed our 30th anniversary. We've been mm-hmm. celebrating this year all kinds of things, a, a big celebration coming up in a, yeah. a few days for us as a team, and uh, actually been on radio since 1990, so I had kind of a three-year ramp up before we got into Standard Reason, so that helped me a little bit. 33 years now on radio, 30 years with Standard Reason. So a couple of years there to kind of work out the kinks. I worked that, out the kinks, right? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's right. We do have the, a really special celebration. Now I have to work with kinks. Yeah. <laughs> so when I hear something squeak in the booth here, I'll know that's what that is. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's right. But I'm glad you're 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 in the driver's seat for this, Tim. Uh, get used to it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to have you doing more of this kind of thing as time comes on. Oh, that might be that might be fun. But I'm not I'm not ready to take the reins yet. Too, uh, you, too you, many kinks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I'll get those worked out. Now, Greg, I'm I'm sure our listeners um, wonder about you know how how you got from you know 1993 and mm-hmm. now we're in 2023 and you know, 30 years of ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, you've often talked about on the show um, the kind of the autobiographical you know the historical roots to stand to reason. Um, there was different players that, that came along the way. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of like Bobby Gupta and, right. and others. And, uh, and so we've, we've talked about that in the, in the past. What I want to do is I want to ask some questions that maybe, um, some of our listeners have thought about and actually, um, how this might apply to them and in their own ministries, mm-hmm. um, or whether, whether or not they're thinking about starting, starting a ministry. And one of the things that occurred to me was that, uh, many might assume that God told you uh, to start Stand to Reason or that you felt called to go into ministry, mm-hmm. you know, back in, in 1993. Um, how would you respond to someone who, who, you know, asked that kind of question? Like, did you feel called? Did you, did, was there some kind of, did God whisper into your ear to say, start Stand to Reason <laughs> or something like that? Well, um, in almost 50 years of being a Christian, in a few weeks, it'll be my 50th uh, birthday, so to speak, wow. as a follower of Christ. Um, that has never happened to me a single time. Mm. Not the way most people think of it. Okay, nudge, nudge, hint, hint. Um, is God, as you put it, calling me into this thing? Can I read the signs? Mm. Uh, it, that's never happened to me. Now, I used to look for that kind of thing, and I rem- <laughs> I'm kind of chuckling now because I remember my brother's 
two brothers and I, we all kind of uh, started our, our walk with Christ together. Um, my brother Mark a few years before we did, and he led us to the Lord. So the three of us, David, Mark, and I, we are living together in West L.A., brand new Christians, and we're trying to figure out whether God wanted my brother David to buy a truck, a particular truck. And we're yeah. praying about, do you feel led? Well, I don't know, feel led. I kind of feel led. Maybe we should buy this truck. Well, I, I, so we're going through that whole routine. Okay, we'll buy the truck. Well, it was a piece of junk, as it turned out, you know, but uh, there we were at least trying to apply that that principle yeah. uh, the way a lot of Christians do. And, and I'm not faulting them in one sense or looking down. I'm just saying this is the received tradition mm-hmm. that we've had um, in evangelicalism uh, that God makes the decisions for us, and then we try to figure out through the hint, hint, nudge, nudge, lead, lead kind of thing what he's he's trying to tell us, and we have to decipher it so we can do what he's telling us to do. Yeah. Well, very early in my Christian life, and I, I'm thinking I became a Christian in 1973, and by the early 80s, um, I had figured out that this is not the way the Bible teaches us to make decisions. Um, indeed, there is no indication, for example, you mentioned calling, in the New Testament that uh, God distributes ministry by calling. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what about Paul? Paul was called as an apostle. Yeah, here it is. Saul, Saul! <laughs> hey, you! Pretty clear. Yeah, I'm calling you right mm-hmm. now. You know, he literally was called. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but God distributes ministry through, not through calling, but through gifting. Yeah. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and in 1 Peter, we have a short passage. And so um, I became convinced fairly early on in my Christian life, eight or nine years into it, that this was not the way to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And so um, I began teaching. First time I taught on this was 1982. But uh, this this became obviously a, a feature in my decision-making for the future. And um, now I believe God sovereignly directs all kinds of things in our lives. But what we don't have to do is we don't have to tune in to hear the voice of God, or to use the language of Henry Blackaby, to get your assignment. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is biblically sound. And so in my own life, when it came to um, the the genesis of Stand to Reason, what I was thinking about, and this happened as a result of encouragement from others, too. You mentioned Bobby Gupta. He was the first one that encouraged me when mm-hmm. I was in Madras, India, for three weeks, teaching at his Bible center and doing other things in town there. Uh, he encouraged me to start an organization, and I just dismissed it right out of hand because it sounded like too much work, you yeah. know. Um, and I was fine as an associate pastor at Hope Chapel, but it became, as he, the second time around that he challenged me when he came to the States a few weeks later, I began to think in terms of the way I encourage others to think about it, my capabilities and my gifting. Yeah. And, uh, and I realized that I have some particular capabilities that God has given me, and following the directives of the gifting motif that we see in those passages I mentioned, I asked, well, what is what am I capable of doing? And these were things, by the way, I was already sharpening in the opportunities that were given me at the time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was blooming where I was planted. Yeah. And uh, the idea of starting an organization to focus on, <clears throat> pardon me, the things that that uh, we, we do now really represented a stewardship of that gift. Mm. And uh, and so I pursued that with counsel to determine 
whether I should begin this enterprise we now call yeah. Stand to Reason. None of these hint, hint, nudge, nudge, whatever. Now, of course, as I look back, I see all kinds of ways that God was sovereignly working to put this all together. Yeah. But I didn't have to worry about that, mm-hmm. okay? I used biblical motif, my gifting, my capabilities, what I was doing that was bearing fruit, and the counsel of other people in my life to give reflection on the ideas that that I had for initiating this enterprise. Yeah. So if someone's sitting on the bench um, and they're wondering, you know, should I go into this ministry thing? Don't, don't, what you're saying is don't wait for some, you know, voice in uh, an audible voice or something like that. No, don't look that direction. In a certain sense, don't look heavenward. Look earthward, okay. okay? I've never put it that way before, but I have said this sometimes to people. I said, wait, just all this God talk, right? Yeah. All this God's leading or God's this and that and the other thing. Sounds very but, spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, let's leave God out of it for a minute, you know. <laughs> now, that freaks them out. It does. But but my point isn't to get God out of the enterprise. My point is to get God out of it the way he thinks or she thinks God is involved, because that's distracting them from the biblical motif Mm. that I think is the thing that makes the difference. So I would encourage people to look at your gifts, look at your capabilities, look at your options, talk to lots of people about your ideas. And in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. That's Proverbs. Okay, so these are the kinds of things that you do. And then, and pray through it, that God gives you wisdom, that God gives you opportunity, that whatever is needed for the fulfillment of the desires you have, that God would provide that. Now, if it's not provided, well, then this door is not functionally open to you, Mm -hmm. okay? You you can't go through a, a closed door. doesn't mean you can't keep pounding on the door keep trying. Paul did that with regards to his trip to Rome, and he talks in Romans 1 about that that process. But uh, no, keep going. If it's a noble ambition, if it's an ambition that is consistent with your spiritual capabilities, you don't need permission from God to do this. Now, I know this is an anathematizing statement in some people's minds, because people will say, don't do anything unless God tells you to do it. Mm. There is not a line like that in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they go back all the way to David, the king of Israel, who was supposed to be consulting God on certain things. And they generalize that to Christian experience. Don't do anything unless God tells you. But there's nothing like that in the New Testament. Yeah. That's good. Uh, okay, I want to I want to get to a, another question. This might might be a little more just kind of factual, but okay, okay, we call we call this ministry call this ministry stand to reason. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, why not call it Greg Kokel Ministries? Mm-hmm. You know, there's lots of ministries out there, and they're named after the founder or they're named right. after some personality. So, right. so. I guess the question is, why did you call it Stand to Reason, and why not name it after well, yourself? Well, there's two things going on here. First of all, I don't call it ministry. Okay. It's Stand to Reason. Yeah. Although I'm introduced as the president and founder of Stand to Reason Ministries, it's not part of our name. Yeah. Because, as you know, we, we try, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> fairly consistently to avoid a lot of religious lingo that makes us sound like a church or yeah. something. Like that. We just want to sound like ordinary people, Normal people. who 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 have <clears throat> strong informed convictions about spiritual things and are trying to persuade other people of that. Notice I didn't even say beliefs or faith. I said yeah. convictions. Yeah. Um, but um, <clears throat> in my mind, this enterprise <clears throat> wasn't about me. It wasn't about my personality. 
When we had one of the meetings early on, after Bobby Gupta challenged me the second time, I gathered together about six or seven people. <clears throat> Melinda Penner is part of that group. My brother Mark was part of that group. Uh, Bobby Gupta and his brother John were part of that group. And there were a couple of other people that were had whose, whose opinions I trusted that were part of that group. And when I began to explain this very half-baked concept mm -hmm. that later became known as Stand to Reason, um, Jane Chastain, who was a broadcaster with me at KBRT at that time, Jane Chastain says, well, <clears throat> it sounds like you just want to be a speaker with a secretary. And um, and actually, the way I characterized it, that's that's what I was trying to do because that's mm. the best that I, the best handle I had on my ambitions at that time. Mm. Okay, how do I break away from all these other responsibilities of this church and start and focus on me being a communicator of the things that I'm very interested in? And um, Melinda Penner was the one with me that would help me to do that. So, yes, that's right. It was focused on me. And basically, what they were saying is, we're kind of excited about something, but we're not sure what we're excited about. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's got to be obviously bigger than just you and a secretary. That's not big enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a career change, but that's not a real enterprise, right? That's mm -hmm. not a work that's going to endure. No, they didn't use that language, but this is what was going on there, really. And there was wisdom in that. Mm -hmm. uh, and my first impulse after that meeting was, Good, I don't have to do this now. <laughs> Honest to goodness, I don't have to do this. And so then I got to thinking about it, and I put together a much broader vision of Stand to Reason, and that became our, our first brochure, so to speak. I still yeah. have the copy for that. And, uh, and, and this was something much bigger than me. Yeah. So I didn't want my name to be associated with it because I didn't want people to be following me. Yeah. I wanted to be a catalyst so people followed something bigger than me yeah. and that could outlast me. And one of the things, Greg, I like is that you'll say, I work for Stand to Reason. You know, you're you're you, um, at least, you know, when we're talking about standard, it's not just you. It's you are you are an employee of standard. That's Reason. right. I, and it's the way I see it. Yeah. And even after all these these 30 years um, right now, this year, there's there is a lot of focus on me as being a principal sure. involved. Yeah. <clears throat> and it does make me feel a little uncomfortable, though. I you know, it says Proverbs says, let another praise you. And not your own lips. So mm. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself, but people want to say thank you, and I, sure. I, I receive that with grace. But the fact is, I work here. <laughs> okay, this isn't me. This I, I'm not the I'm the visible head of the organization, but I, the organization is not me. Mm. And for years now, I have sought to move backwards to bring more others, individuals mm. <clears throat> like yourself. Like Brett Kunkel, like uh, um, uh, John Noyes and, and Alan Schleeman and Amy, Amy Hall and, and all the content providers yeah. more front and center. Of course, you know, in realities right now, I'm not on the main stage. All the young guns are on the main stage, you know. I just uh, – I'm like the janitor in the background. You so. get up there though at the end. Occasionally. You, yeah. but, but this is – the point is yeah. moving Moving off center, so to mm. speak, uh, uh, as a as a as a principled thing, as a as a intentional thing, so that people focus more on the organization, which, God willing, will long outlive Mister Kokel. Well, um, well, we're, we're we're praying for many more years. All right, <laughs> but I, I, okay. So let's let's go to this question. Um, 
what makes and I in my mind I can think of a number of things, but I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. What what would you say makes Stand to Reason set apart from other apologetics ministries? Because there's a lot of really great apologetics mm-hmm. ministries out there. Right. So what is it that Stand to Reason does uh, uniquely or sets it apart? Yeah, this is a good question um, because we admire what all of our colleagues are doing. Mm -hmm. We work with them a lot in lots of different ways. But I think uh, a couple of things are distinctive about Stand to Reason. For one, we're not an evangelistic organization. A lot of these other organizations have their goal as evangelism, okay? But our mission statement starts, we train Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, we train them to do particular things, but we train Christians. We are focused on the body of Christ. So rather than evangelism, we focus on discipleship, to put it probably simply. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are trying to uh, produce a particular kind of person. Yeah. So there's an incarnational element here, and we call that person an ambassador. There you go. Well done. <laughs> wow, I passed yeah, the test. You got that one right. All right. No, but that's uh, obviously permeates everything we do at Stand to Reason. An ambassador is knowledge, wisdom, character, knowledge and accurately informed mind, wisdom and artful method and character in an attractive manner. Did you did you come up with that or did you get that from some someplace else? No, I actually came up with that, oh, but it great. took me a long time to put it together. I okay. remember right I can picture myself working at a table in a different facility than we're in now. Yeah. It was an old rag ragamuffin place uh that a church gave us, you know, in some back buildings, whatever, and crazy, but it was what we had at the time. And I'm sitting at the desk just working with all these words and everything. So I finally got these things that I thought really captured what we were after, Mm -hmm. and then came up with these um, euphonic characterizations, an accurately informed mind, an artful method in in an attractive manner. So it took me a while to work that one out. But that is distinctive about us. Mm -hmm. We're trying to do that. Another thing I've already mentioned, and that is we're not, we're trying not to sound religious. We don't want to sound like, you know, some kind of like Baptists, and now if you're Baptist, then we don't want to sound like Pentecostals. If you're Pentecostal, then Lutherans, you know, Presbyterian, whatever. You get the point. Yeah. And that is we we just want to sound like people who are thoughtful about spiritual things, and we don't have to have our conversation laced with all this kind of uh, spiritual psychobabble Mm -hmm. or spiritual noise. So I think that's also distinctive. And and the way we comport ourselves, too, we're a very down-to-earth group of people, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, we don't—we're not— hoity-toity in any way. We don't suffer prima donnas. At, uh, and it, characteristically, in our co- our colleagues are the same way. They're, mm-hmm. you know, the people we work with are, uh, they're not driven by their egos. They really want to make a difference. So mm-hmm. uh, that's been good to work in a larger fraternity of uh, colleagues that's similar in that way. But, and one other thing, Tim, I'll say is that I think one of the strengths of strand, stand of reason is that we are translators. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we rub shoulders with these all these other smart folk, right? Oh, we do. And learn from them and then try to find a way to uh, throw the ball so other people could catch it. Yeah. All right. That's the translation thing, to organize and use language and whatever. It's something I think you're particularly good at, for example. But it's true for all of our players, all of our content providers, that uh, that we translate the harder ideas so people can grasp them, understand mm-hmm. them, and begin employing them in their lives. Yeah. You know, uh, the character, when you going back to the ambassador model, knowledge, wisdom, character, for me, the character piece, I mean, I think the way apologists are wired is we want to know a whole bunch, yeah. right? And oftentimes, maybe we know how to use that knowledge, the, the the method. And I know tactics has been really helpful for a lot of people. 
the character piece for me, um, I've I've seen it in my own life how mm-hmm. I've kind of grown, and it's often I mean it's been from listening to you and the podcast early on, but also in our kind of one-on-one mentorship. Mm-hmm. And I can think of in particular Red <laughs> Red Pen Logic, yeah. right? And you re- you remember the early days oh, of yeah, Red Pen sure, Logic, sure. and man, I just man. Everything looked like a nail, you know, and I just wanted to <laughs> hammer. hammer. Yeah, that's right. And it it, it was pretty aggressive and there's like the sarcasm was coming out. And I remember, you know, and it really bothered me at early on. Mm-hmm. Greg was like, hey, you know, you can't t- you can't say that. You know, mm-hmm. you want your your message is being lost mm-hmm. in how you're presenting in this. The method, right? That's right. right. And so we uh, we actually shelled it for a few months. We did. Yeah, and we and- cleaned it up. And you know what? I, I look back. Because I, you know, Facebook has this thing where it reminds, it sends you memories of like, uh-huh. you know, things you posted in the past. <laughs> and that can be good. You know, I see my daughters there, you know, there's my three-year-old daughter. Right, wow, right. you know, she's grown up so much. And then I see a post, you know, mm-hmm. that I've put out there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, man, yeah. I would never post that today, yeah. you know. And there's and, and that's, I think, a testimony to Stan Teresa's influence on my life, your influence on mm-hmm. my life. It's it's the character piece. Well, Tim, I just to be clear though, I mean, you are very teachable, and this is really true about everybody on our team. Very, very teachable, and uh, and that makes a big difference. There are a lot of people, and this just here's application. There are a lot of people out there that are involved in uh, Christian work, see, I didn't mm-hmm. say ministry, mm-hmm. uh, and, and making a difference for the kingdom, um, who just are not responsive to feedback. Mm. They get defensive. They don't want to hear it. They think they yeah. got it together. No, my way's better, whatever. And uh, this just hurts them in their capabilities and effect- as effective communicators or effective ambassadors. Mm. So uh, I tip my hat to you on that because you are, and you continue to be very responsive. Well, this actually segues nicely to the next question I had, okay. um, which is what advice would you give to a budding apologist? And mm-hmm. so I'm thinking maybe in terms of like a, you know, prof- you know, I don't like the term professional apologist, but, you know, the, the guys who want to go out there and kind of maybe do what you do and do what mm-hmm. I do. Um, obviously, teachability is a big one. Huge. Um, but what other advice would you give? Well, um uh, there is a, a, there, there are two aspects to this. One is uh, a, as an avocation or a vocation. Mm-hmm. And I, I heard one guy say many years ago, I thought it was really brilliant. He said, unless you are in the ministry, before you go in the ministry, you won't be in the ministry when you get in the ministry. Mm. Okay, that's pretty yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah, that's it? pretty good. Charlie Tremendous Jones, he's probably long gone now, but uh, he was a kind of a Christian motivational speaker, very funny. But that's a great aphorism. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a lot of people who want to go from ground zero uh, to collecting checks yeah. for being an apologist. Mm. And that's where this aphorism applies. <clears throat> You're, that's not going to happen. Uh, and if it does happen, it's not going to be good for you. Mm. You need to be <clears throat> in the harness as a servant, developing your capabilities and interests, what you can provide to the body of Christ as a Christian first, mm-hmm. before you start thinking about uh, the kinds of uh, the, the the role of an apologist who is in front of a lot of people and is receiving uh, an income for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is a very challenging job. And you know this once yeah. you've got full time into it. You yeah. know it's a lot more challenging. It's not. It, it has some glamorous aspects. It's obviously very fulfilling for us, but it's a lot of work, yeah, it and it's dangerous. 
because uh, people look up to you mm-hmm. because what you're doing is giving something they're not going to normally hear on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for us. We go, no matter what church we go to, if we're reasonably competent communicators, we have a very attentive audience because they've never heard this before. So they treat us real special and blah, blah, blah. And it's t- it's too easy to take all of that um, inappropriately. Mm-hmm. This is why uh, time and grade, you know, if you're in the military, you're a private first class or you're a private E1, that's right at the beginning, then E2, then PFC, that's E3. Um, you got to be in that grade for a period of time before you qualify for moving up, mm. okay? So people have to put, young apologists, whatever, have to put their time and grade. And uh, I'm, I think back in my own life, back in the late 70s, I was doing speaking already then, doing Christian apologetics and stuff like that at a much more modest uh, um, exposure. Even so, it was a massive temptation to me uh, to, to, uh, to, and a threat to my character that had to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And there were different ways that that was addressed, and uh, the Lord saw to that. But uh, and it continues to be an issue that I have to be guarding for. That's a concern. Some are just too ambitious to be an apologist, mm-hmm. and what they should be ambitious to be is a servant with their capabilities, mm. wherever that happens to be. And this is why I've told many people, bloom where you're planted, mm. wherever you find yourself. Make yourself useful there, mm-hmm. you know, and it may not be in the lights and somebody may not see it and everybody may not pl- be applauding how great, whatever, just bloom there mm-hmm. and then see what happens. God has a way of, uh, of of moving people forward who are faithful with what they have been giving. I think, I think that James, Jesus said something about that, right? Yeah. Or uh, so. So this is a principle that's really, really important. I encourage those who 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 are interested in this field to to be bloom where you're planted. And it doesn't mean you can't push forward and be ambitious to get more opportunities to do what you're doing. That's okay. But you want to bloom where you're planted and seek to be a servant mm-hmm. with your gifts to others, not to be a professional apologist. Yeah. And if that happens, great. If it does, yeah, look, you, before you work for Stand to Reason, you were doing the same thing. You had a, a, a smaller enterprise called Clear Thinking Christianity, yeah. right? And I was plagiarizing all your material. <laughs> That's right. Just so steal, we're clear. Steal my talk. Yeah. So, um, and, but, and that was the stepping stone through yeah. some odd circumstances with Sean McDowell and then Brett Kunkel, where you ended up at one of our very first realities. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when, you know, I was sitting in the front row and I said, we got to hire this guy. We got to get him. And, and we, we did. We worked something out. We didn't yeah. make you move to the U.S. of A. from that third world country you're from. But Not yet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that would be the advice I'd give. Yeah. Bloomer, you're planted. And then I always say, be a student of your craft. Yeah. Be a student of your craft. You've got to learn this stuff. Mm-hmm. And for apologists, it's not just defending the faith. You have to understand the faith that you're defending. Yeah. And in depth. Yeah. Not just in shallow ways, because a big challenge that we experience now is what we do is what's called straw man attacks. People mischaracterizing Christianity mm. to find fault with it. And if you don't see the mischaracterization, the straw man that's erected and they easily knock down, then you're not going to be able to uh, to respond properly to that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, just uh, just to add to what you're saying, one of the one of the pieces of advice that I've, I would want to give and I've learned 
is that you can't be a lone wolf. You know, when I was doing this on my own, I was listening to I was listening to the Standard Reason podcast, and that was kind of a form of discipleship. But I didn't have someone that I was going to and bouncing you know ideas off of. Mm-hmm. And one of the values in coming on board with Standard Reason was able being able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, before uh, uh, Tuesday Tuesdays afternoon, we're we're uh, having our staff meeting, right. and oftentimes there's a mentoring moment, and then we're just throwing ideas around. Right. And uh, or we talk individually about things you're working on, for that's, example. That's and, right. Uh, not just me; you'd get feedback from others too. Amy's been really helpful, yeah. but um, writing and thinking through and solving problems, and yeah. it's always satisfying to me when any of the team says, "Hey, here's what I got. You guys got any insight?" And by yeah. the way, you don't flash that just to me; to the whole team. Mm. It's a it, of content providers. So it's a corporate effort where mm, people are giving input right. and we realize each of us that we have things to learn. And and one other thing that I've learned from you is, uh, you know, most of us look up to a guy like Greg. He's been doing this a long time. But your willingness to say, I don't know. Mm. And that that I've taken that to heart. And so when I'm out there, I'm not faking it till I make it. If mm-hmm. someone throws a throws a question at me and man, it's it's a hard one. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And and I and uh, I'm able to do that because I know, hey, Greg says that too. It's okay, you know. He is, yeah. It's okay to say I don't know. Um, and so that was another thing that early on I wish I had learned that because mm-hmm. I know in the past I've probably given answers that I hadn't fully thought through and even changed my mind on some of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, wish I, you know, had just had a little more humility in the moment and mm-hmm. said, you know, I'm just not sure about this one. Um, Get, you know, check back with me yeah. after I've looked into it. But I may still not be able to respond to that. You will check back. <laughs> That's right. Look, at there are a lot of things about Christianity that are inscrutable because mm-hmm. God is inscrutable in a lot of ways. And that's why, and it's a common response that I give when people ask, why did God or why didn't God? Mm-hmm. I said, you know, most of those questions we can't answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Here's uh, let's let's maybe go through a few of the topics because sure. standard reason, man, if you go to our website, you'll see hundreds of articles, maybe thousands of thousands, articles, thousands no. of articles, um, and podcast episodes. And, hundreds from you, you yeah, know, when that, you think about your sure, contribution. That's true. And then we have all the other content providers too. So that's a lot right. of thousands. You know, I was thinking the other day, I, it's been eight years. You that's know, right. I started in 2015. That's right. Um, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> and uh, and we've covered some big topics. The only reason, you know, we have not shied away from the big questions of right. our day. And uh, and so I'm curious as we kind of go, I just want to go walk through a couple of topics with you. And I, I love to for you to kind of maybe um, distill down what's the main idea mm-hmm. of this of this particular um, question or this topic. And maybe even as we go, there's there might be something unique that Standard Reason has contributed mm-hmm. to that particular topic. So let's by the way, let me yeah, add something sure. to that because uh, we all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, J.P. Moreland has had a massive impact in my life. He was my mentor as a philosopher as I got my MA in philosophy. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, tremendous influence. I only met him a couple of times, but I, I, I read his book. So that was mm-hmm. discipleship at a distance, right? Yeah. And and others like them. So it, it it it's not unusual or inappropriate for us to pick up on somebody else's concepts yeah. and then develop 
develop them in, in a certain way, put our own signature to them. In mm-hmm. fact, I remember we, we've got an event we're doing coming up in Texas here in a few weeks, and, yeah. and I'm really looking forward to that because I remember the last time you and I alone did an event together, you did uh, Truth Is Not Ice Cream. Yeah. And, of course, that originally was my talk. But I, I just sat in awe, enjoying how you took that particular talk and wove yourself into it and made some of these concepts, I think, a lot more clear to the audience than even I have in my original. So this is the way it works. Mm. We all stand on the shoulders of those who come before us. And we, and it, probably in some of the questions you'll ask here about topics, that will be the case. Yeah. So let's, let's start with the first one um, okay. that I got here on the list, abortion. So um, – is there like what is the main issue when it comes to sure. abortion? When I uh, in in there was a broadcaster in Southern California, KBRT for many years. He's gone now, uh, but his name was Rich Bueller, and uh, he, he was an amazing guy. Um, but he gave a talk at Hope Chapel once on the abortion issue, and he 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 said a line that just stuck with me, and the line was, you know, the real issue is what is the unborn. Hmm. That's the real issue, and. Uh, so I got this or, or something like that, but uh, I, I that stuck, and I said, that's really good. Mm-hmm. That simplifies the entire issue. And so this became uh, the core of the approach that we have developed at Standard Reason, with the help of Scott Klusendorf, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, when he came on board, uh, that that um, the, 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 the approach that I call only one question. Yeah. Only one question. And here we are. We're just about to release... Um, street smarts, and there's two chapters on abortion, and the first chapter is only one question. So we're still using that motif, yeah. and that turns out to be really the core issue of the whole abortion debate. Mm-hmm. The question is, what is the unborn? Mm-hmm. That's the question. What is the unborn? And if the unborn is not a human being, then no justification for abortion is necessary. Mm-hmm. Have the abortion. Mm-hmm. But if the unborn is a human being, then no justification for abortion is adequate. And here I'm talking about elective abortion uh, because we don't kill human beings for the reasons that people have abortion. So that's that's kind of the core concept that we've been developing for many, many years. And even in the new book, you'll find that as the way we approach strategically that question. Another issue, a topic that's come up and it's kind of dominating our our culture right now is is sexuality and gender yeah um and and so is there is there a way to distill this issue down is there something that um we should be zeroing on or focusing yeah. focusing it on uh, well i uh... I think that sexuality—this has had its challenges, mm-hmm. okay, partly because the rhetoric of the left has been so effective, Yeah. okay? And so a lot of things is like trying to figure out how to deal with the rhetoric, all right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you—I presume, do you mean same-sex marriage also in yeah, the same yeah, category sure. yeah. and, and LGBTQ and all this other— yeah. The uh, the same-sex marriage issue and the, and, and the homosexuality issue was one of the hardest ones that I ever dealt with. And we were writing about this— Way in advance of Obergefell in 2015, yeah. and um, and I just know that each iteration I refined my understanding a little bit more. Mm. Now, when I look at those issues, um, actually, the way the chapter in Street Smarts is titled is "Gender, Marriage, Sex, and Common Sense." It mm. turns out that everything that Christians hold to be true about those areas, mm-hmm. the Bible teaches. You don't need a Bible 
to know about because mm-hmm. cultures from the beginning of time without a Bible have understood these things to be the case. Yeah. We just have to observe the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so, for example, when people say, well, gender's flexible, I said, no, gender's not flexible. Imaginations are flexible. Mm-hmm. Gender's not flexible. People may be confused. That doesn't mean that we need to be confused. Mm, So these are little aphoristic kind of ways of capturing these notions Mm -hmm. that that I think that uh, have helped people to kind of, again, simplify the issue. Um, When it comes to same-sex marriage or homosexuality in general, um, that was, to be honest, Tim, it was a hard one for me. Why? I know God says it's wrong, and it is wrong, and it isn't His plan, but why is it wrong? When I realize that homosexuality is wrong for the same reasons that all other types of non-marital heterosexual sexuality is wrong, Mm -hmm. because God set up a plan in the beginning for human flourishing, and everything that God prohibits with regards to sexuality, there's only four of them, and that is uh, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, and bestiality, these all have to do with having sex with someone other than your heterosexual, which I need to mention now, marriage partner, mm-hmm. right? All right, so sex inside of marriage is sanctified, okay? The marriage bed should not be defiled, Paul says, but uh, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever. Um, but outside of that, whatever you're doing mm-hmm. is not right. And so it's interesting how Leviticus states it, you know, a man should not lie with a man the way he lies with a woman. Um, the subtext being, there's a right way to have this relationship. You have it with a woman, you don't have it with a man. And mm-hmm. Paul gets more particular about plumbing issues there and functionality in Romans chapter 1. Yeah. You know, men abandoned the function of the woman God gave them for that purpose mm-hmm. and burned in their desire for one another. So um, that all, that change kind of fell in the meter after a while of working on mm-hmm. it, and sometimes that's the case. And then it was our job then to try to find you know, accessible ways of explaining that. Yeah, and, and even um, the way you define marriage or how the Bible defines marriage. Jesus' uh, definition. Yeah, Jesus, yeah. One Summary. man with one woman becoming one flesh for one lifetime. Yeah, that's right. So there's this there's this aphorism that is easy to remember. Yes, it is. Um, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give people like handles um, so they can they can talk through these issues and think through these issues, especially when they're being confronted by an aggressive right, culture. Right. That's the translation element we yeah. talked about earlier. Yeah, that's good. Um, how about look at uh, this? I was going through topics that we've covered uh-huh. in the past, and the secret. I did you remember that yeah, you did? I still have that you talk. responded to. The, did you ever get yeah, asked I, to speak on the secret? Yeah, I anymore? actually uh, I I wrote a piece on the secret. Okay. which was kind of a new age thing, yeah. uh, and that was uh, oh, yeah, a number of years ago. And then at an ETS, an EPS conference yeah. for Evangelical Theological Society Week, mm-hmm. and that was up in, I don't know, somewhere in the, in the, uh, the you know, northeast. I, don't, I can't remember where. And I gave that talk. Uh, it was 2008 now because I know I just had surgery on my right arm and okay. I was in a sling. <laughs> so I was trying to do this talk with a sling on. In any event... Um, that uh, yeah, I, that, that I did give that talk. I haven't had to give it since then, but mm. I had. There were some very important pieces in there that I ended up using in uh, Story of Reality, for example. Ah, okay. Yeah. So 
So that was that was something that was timely. Yeah, that we kind of rose to the occasion and have moved on from. Yeah, Oprah Winfrey, I think at the time had like been promoting this oh, yeah, book, yeah. and that launched this book, you yeah. know, into into front and center. Rhonda Byrne or something. Yeah, that's that, right. Yeah, yeah, that's the right. Author of that book. And so, but that just show, again, here's an issue, and it's not maybe not a as big a deal or maybe maybe it's well still... it's actually still a big deal because it's called new thought now. okay it's a it's a it's a it's akin to new age but it's not new age it's something special and mm. we have melissa doherty for example is doing some great work going to write a book on on new thought uh-huh. and help warn christians about how this is influencing the church but there's the idea of just kind of being on top of what's happening at the moment yeah. and trying to inform our people our group our community yeah on on the danger it's the you know it's the it's the world without and the wolves within yeah. that we need to protect them from. That's right. Now, one of the early on again, uh, relativism yes. was a big issue. You wrote a book on it. And I guess you couldn't come up with a clever title because you just called it relativism. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the subtitle is very clever. Yes. Well, the subtitle is from uh, Frank uh, from uh, Francis Schaeffer, and uh, it is feet firmly planted in midair. And I think yeah. other people have used that notion before, but it, it works. And the thing about titles is you have to have a title that's memorable. If yeah. you have a title that's not memorable, it's hard for people mm. to remember to buy the book. Yeah. And so I got relativism and tactics and street smarts and mm. the story of reality more words there, but I feel, I still think that's somewhat memorable. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's that, key. That's a good one. And uh, again, that's still, that's an issue that um, still comes up. Moral well, relativism is is rampant. Well, actually, this is more of a problem than it ever was. Now, moral relativism is a subspecies of the larger issue of relativism, mm-hmm. which is a challenge on the existence of truth. Mm-hmm. And this gets hard for people sometimes. I write a lot about it in uh, in Street Smarts. But tr- a truth is just a fact. That's it. And yeah. if somebody says there are no truths, that means there are no facts. But that's silly. Yeah. Of course there are facts. We know all kinds of facts. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if we didn't know some facts, we'd be dead in a day. Yeah. So uh, there are truths that you can know, and it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you can know facts about religion and morality, that's another question, and this is what Frank Beckwith and I tackle in that book. And in fact, I just taught on that about a week ago somewhere uh, in uh, central central uh, Oregon, and uh, th- that was a, a, a part, partly part of what I was trying to encourage them on is even something as like an immaterial thing, as opposed to a material scientific thing, like morality, you yeah. can be absolutely confident that you can have knowledge about this. Mm-hmm. And but I had to talk them through that, and that's what we do in the relativism book. Yeah. And uh, and this relativism notion, though, in that book it was moral relativism. Uh, that's expanded to everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Now everything's ice cream, is the way I put it. And going back to our metaphor there, yeah. in uh, tr- uh, in our talks, so um, I think the contribution there is that if I were to sum it up, the fact is everyone is what a philosopher would call a common sense realist uh, when it comes to reality in general and and uh, and morality in particular. That is that most of the things that we think we know about the universe and the world are accurate. We do know those things, and that's the common sense realist kind of deal. And the same thing is true in morality. I and mean, it turns out a person who has no morality at all, who really thinks there is no right or wrong, mm-hmm. who deeply and profoundly lives that way is called a sociopath. Yeah. You know, that's not good. All right. So that's the contribution, I think, that with the help of Frank Beckwith, I made uh, in the area of um, relativism and 
uh, that that of course relates to the emerging church that yeah. was very postmodern in the 2000s, and that has morphed into what's called progressive Christianity now. That's right, and it uh, didn't go away. It just took a it new just name. took a new form. That's right. Um, we uh, I'm just looking down my list here. Uh, evolution and, and intelligent design. Yeah, have we zeroed in on that one too? Well, well, I've written quite a things about quite a few things about it, and of course on the radio show these things come come up, and <clears throat> especially when atheists call, yeah, and especially when they want to try to explain the moral project by using Darwinian evolution mm-hmm. as an explanatory uh, um, scheme, so to speak. And now it doesn't work for a number of reasons, but uh, yeah, evolution is one of those things that is a very, very broad-based belief in our culture. And the, and and again, I think this relates to the issue of common sense. I like the way Doug Axe has 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 uh, dealt with this, mm. and and his book is called Undeniable. But it's just the first couple chapters, if you read those, he makes the point, you don't need to be a scientist that know, to know that evolution is false. Mm. All you have to do is look at living organisms, and we have a design intuition, mm. okay? And that it takes, and some things require know-how, to make, mm-hmm. all right? They don't make themselves. And so if you take an origami, uh, uh, like bird, for example, a folded paper, yep. and you pull the edges, it flaps its wings, you show that to a kid. They know. They're going to say, wow, that's co- Teach me how to do that. Yeah. Teach show me how me to how do to make it. That. Show me how to make it. Right. So th- we realize there's know-how, but that we realize that with a little, you know, very simple origami paper bird, but then we'll look at a swan and we'll say, no, that happened by accident. No way, Jose. You know, right? My wife and I were watching bats flying over our house, and uh, that was great. Little brown bats. I used to catch them when I was a kid. And uh, <laughs> when when uh, when we were watching them fly, what are they doing? Darting all around. Well, they're eating. Mm-hmm. What are they eating? Mosquitoes. Tim, did you ever try to catch a mosquito? I know you're up in Ontario. You got mosquitoes we up got there. We got tons yeah. of them, yeah. It's really hard to catch a mosquito. They're flying around. You're trying to swat it. You're trying to grab it. You're trying to kill it. Okay. These guys catch the mosquito while they're flying. Mm -hmm. How do they do that? Echolocation. Mm -hmm. They don't just catch it. They don't have hands. They eat Mm -hmm. it. They catch it in their mouth. Okay. How did that happen? Uh, That was a total accidental period of time, Darwinian evolution. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. You don't forget about it. Unless you can actually show me the step-by-step process, Mm -hmm. mechanically, biologically, uh, uh, molecularly, that this is the way it took place, I am not obliged Mm -hmm. to believe that thing that's totally contrary to my... uh, common sense yeah. about the way the world works. So there's there's a contribution. There's a lot of angles to that whole sure, issue. Sure. And uh, there is a talk about, I give that, why I'm not an evolutionist because yeah. uh, of the two main problems, and that's the origin of life and then the transition from one type of life to another mm-hmm. um, by non-directed processes. And yeah. that's the key to any materialistic characterization. Yeah. It's non-directed. But everything seems directed, which is why we refer to mother nature yeah someone's doing it you know i was i don't know if you remember i was with you when we were uh up in the sequoia we were up hume lake and we went and took our family to families out to look at the sequoia uh, these giant i don't trees. remember that i remember hume obviously yeah, but yeah. i didn't know you were, well, we were together you, you were there with your uh daughter this was years ago and um we're there looking at these trees and someone 
um, made this comment. Just a stranger was with the, kind of walking along the uh-huh. path there, and they said something like, wow, isn't Mother Nature great? And you turned to them and said, well, there'd be no Mother Nature without a Father God, or something like that. <laughs> and uh, and I just thought, man, that was kind of like, that was, that was a tactics in action kind of oh, thing. Yeah. You know, like the... I'm going to put a stone in your shoe. And he's, yeah. and this guy was thinking, yeah, you're right. Like he actually yeah. was nodding along. Like, don't know if he was a believer or not, but. Well, was just a little gardening there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and a discipleship moment. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I got to watch it, Greg in action. Um, <laughs> it doesn't you, always work out that yeah, way. Yeah, I'm sure, just saying, but. sure. It was memorable though. Um, but one of the things I like to do is an end run around the whole evolution thing. And you want to talk about ID. Let's skip the biology for a second and go straight to you know, the origin of the universe mm-hmm. and the fine tuning yeah. um, that's involved. And again, that's another issue that we've, we, we take on a here. Big bang Standard. needs a big banger. That's right. right. Totally. Um, and, uh, and the fine tuning needs a fine tuner. So mm-hmm. we have, uh, we have other arguments that show that this idea of, of materialism or, or naturalism mm-hmm. doesn't work and we need a supernatural designer and creator. That's good. Okay, so we got through a bunch of these. How about, uh, let's go to this next question. What um, ideas do you think have had the most impact on people um, through Stand to Reason? What what ideas have we promoted, do you think, really have resonated with people? Well, uh, two come to mind immediately. One, I think, obviously, is tactics. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's sold almost half a million books, and mm-hmm. uh, and people associate the tactical approach, using questions especially, to maneuvering conversations with Stand to Reason. I think yeah. this is a... a an earmark of our enterprise yeah. and has really helped people a lot. Yeah. And uh, Street Smart's coming out September 12th is uh, is just an extension of that. For mm-hmm. those who are familiar with the tactics game plan, it's like step three in Columbo on mm-hmm. steroids, okay? So I think they're really going to benefit from that. And so and th- that's one thing. I think the, the other thing is the whole decision-making in the will of God yeah. kind of approach. This is something that is so inbred in the body of Christ that people don't even question Mm -hmm. the idea that God makes their decisions for them and then drops little hints that they have to decipher to figure out what God's will is, which can be a very frustrating process. And it's frustrating partly because it's not even in the slightest bit biblical. And uh, when, of course, this is this is very controversial, and people either love this message or hate it. Mm-hmm. They hate it because they've been taught something different, and they were emotionally attached to this view. And if you disabuse them of that idea, it's like taking God away from them. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sympathetic to that. The people who love it, though, are the ones who have been struggling trying to make this work and feel substandard as Christians somehow because they don't hear from God. God's not mm-hmm. talking to them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when they realize that isn't the biblical model. They're relieved tremendously, and then they start operating in a biblical manner of decision-making, and it changes everything for them. Mm-hmm. So I think the the broader issue of hearing from God, hearing the voice of God, et cetera, et cetera, decision-making, the will of God, and also the tactics things have been very distinctive uh, for us as an organization over the years. I would completely agree on those two. One, one uh, topic— is this idea that uh, that um, faithfulness is not theologically complicated? Oh yeah, that's a I've, recent. Yeah, right. and I've had multiple people come to me and say, "Tim, I read this article or heard Greg talk about this, 
and it was like it was like a light bulb moment, uh-huh. you know. And so I'm hearing more and more. Uh, maybe you could you could uh, sure describe I, I, that. I it was a frustration that I had during shows in in my Bible. I have a post it on the inside. I still have it there, and I wrote this phrase down because I was so frustrated. Because wait a minute, you're asking questions about this. Why are you confused about this? The Bible's really clear about this. Mm-hmm. It's not a gray area. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality, gender, marriage, sex, abortion. None of these are gray areas, mm-hmm. biblically. Yeah. There's very clear arguments, and so I develop those arguments, of course, in the book Street Smarts, but I also have an individual talk that now I call, since faithfulness is not theologically complicated, it's not a very compelling <laughs> title for a talk. Oh, I've given the talk many times, now I call it Five Easy Issues. Okay. Okay, Five Easy Issues. <laughs> uh, salvation, gender, <laughs> Marriage, sex, abortion. Uh, Yep, easy, really. Okay, so that's the kind of um, Mm. alert there, and uh, and I just did, in fact, STRU by the title Five Easy Issues Mm. to walk people through these points, and um, it was captured mostly because of when um, Bruce Jenner came out Mm -hmm. uh, around 2015, I think, and as a transgender. Um, we started getting questions about what do we, how do we think about this? You know, what do we do? Look at all that's being said in the culture and all this. And I thought, why, are, why are you confused? So we did a on the prompting of the team. Uh, we did a, a, I did a short video or something. I think we put it online. And my basic point was this: Bruce Jenner's confused. Yeah. It, it, sadly, we, we feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. He will never be a whole human being. But just because he's confused doesn't mean we need to be confused. Mm-hmm. And in fact, on almost every one of those issues, you don't even need holy writ mm-hmm. to figure things out. It's common sense. Yeah, that's good. All right, we guess we have a few minutes left, um, and so I want to I want to end with this question, mm-hmm. Greg, and it's a kind of a big one. Where do you see Stand to Reason thirty years from now? Well, I probably will not be at the helm. Uh, <laughs> that would make me 103. Um, I don't think I'm going to last quite that never long. Never say never, you know. Never. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I, um, th- this is a difficult one for me to answer. Somebody else recently asked me this question. And the reason is, is that the culture and the issues confronting and challenging Christianity have, have uh, been, been so unpredictable in the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, same-sex marriage was kind of on the radar for a while. Transgenderism was there, but nobody thought it would become the cause celeb that it is now. Okay. And consume everything. I mean, to be gay is not even cool anymore. Mm -hmm. It's trans. It went from gay to being bi and then to be trans. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. That's the really cool thing, to be trans. And who would have thunk, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, AI is on uh, on the horizon. It's not on the horizon. It's already here, here, you know. And what are the implications of uh, of that? Not just for what it means to be human, but also for government and totalitarianism. And what we have seen here in the last five years, especially since since 2020, big turning point. Two things: COVID and George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Okay, those two things radically transformed the ability of government to control mm-hmm. people and to allow extreme groups a free reign to hurt people, all right? And I'm going to go into a lot of details there, but people know what I'm talking about here, okay? So uh, the rule of law in general has has degraded in the last four years, and the intrusion of government has been unbelievably uh, aggressive Mm 
compared to the the United States I grew up with, mm-hmm. all right? And it's not just government. And if you read the book Live Not By Lies, you realize that it is social enterprises too, going woke. These are the kinds of things. That, so you got social institutions that are now controlling your life and canceling you out and shadow banning you and stuff like that. Yeah. So the ability to speak freely against bad ideas mm. is being suppressed. How bad is this going to get? I don't know, but it could easily get much worse than it is now. And that's what I'm concerned about for the future. And Christians standing tall and Mm -hmm. firm in the midst of whatever opposition they face. And we are going to do that with them. We are going to be there to equip them to accomplish that. That's really good. You know, we this is why we exist. We've been doing this for 30 years and hopefully 30 more years of Mm -hmm. standing firm, standing strong. Standing help, to reason. That's right. Standing to reason and helping people stay faithful. Yeah. Right? Man, this has been a great show, Greg. Thank you, brother. You, uh, that's because you made it so. Well, there you are. It's easy when uh, I'm sitting next to <laughs> the boss man here, Papa Bear. Uh, you know, this, is, uh, this has been fun. And hopefully um, our listeners have seen that um, just a taste of the contribution that stand to reason has mm-hmm. made over the last 30 years. I know you're not comfortable with, you know, like bragging on you and, you know, um, y- you're not, uh, you're not that kind of guy. Mm. Right. Um, but, uh, it, you know what, sometimes it's good to praise those who have done something worthy. Well, of I, I accept that, uh, with Thanksgiving yeah. from you and from the rest and, and thankful that God has allowed me to participate and to play and be a, an employee of Stand yeah. to Reason. That's good. And uh, as always, we want you guys to go out there and give them heaven. Till next time.